And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio today is the Reverend Mark Diedrich. Mark, it's great to have you with us today. It's great to be here, Dan. It's been a little while since we've had you in the studio, so <laughs> it's, it's a, a pleasure. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Mark walks in, and he's he's wearing this kind of a military-style jacket. I'm surprised it's not a, just a regular hunting jacket, because it's, it's that I, time of year. I, I thought about that, too, Dan. I thought about bringing my crossbow with me and, right. and, and coming in full camo. But yeah. uh, Well, we're going to be talking today, God willing, about Thanksgiving. Next week is Thanksgiving. It's a wonderful holiday here in the United States of America. Some holidays aren't as interesting to me as this one is. It's one of my favorite days. It is. It, it really is, and, and part of that is because they haven't been able to commercialize it. Yes. Like Christmas yes. and Easter. That's yes. exactly the case. Yeah. yeah. And um, we have an interesting history here in the United States of America. We think back to the pilgrims, and I'm wondering if you can just take us back there sure. in our mind's eye to picture some of the things that happened in, in these early years that would affect the future United States of America. Right. Of course, the pilgrims came to the United States from England through Holland and then back to, to England. Mm-hmm. Essentially, the Puritans, and I'll explain, there are two different Puritan groups mm-hmm. at this time. They're what we call the separating Puritans, which basically looked at the Church of England and said, you know, you're too far gone. We're never going to be able to change you to get you to where you should be. Mm-hmm. Um, we're just separating. And then you had the non-separating Puritans. They would come later, and their settlement would be in Salem. Mm-hmm. And they did not have that attitude. They thought, you know, we don't say farewell to the the bad company, but we love mm-hmm. you, England. And, and sure. th- their hopes was of reforming basically within. And there were actually tensions between the two groups. And I'm uh, not surprised. <laughs> yeah, no, because of that, you know, even though they believed essentially the same things, I believe there was a a plague that occurred in the Salem colony uh, mm-hmm. in the early years. And what happened was that the, the Plymouth separating Puritans sent their doctor there and uh, – the comments were made that they he wasn't really a devil like they thought he would be. You know, <laughs> he was a wonderful guy. Isn't so, it true? You know, when you finally meet people that yeah. uh, perhaps are uh, opposed to your um, view or whatever, many times the people are not that bad, right? You know, and you right. say, "Oh, why? Why did I build up something in my mind against That's this right. person?" Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, especially when you're really close on a lot of things like the doctrine, and they oh, they, yeah. they definitely were. At any rate, you have the separating Puritans who had left England, gone to Holland. And in Holland, they just found that the living conditions were too difficult. They were fearing for their children. They were fearing that their children were going to become uh, secular or not the way that they wanted them to be. They felt that they couldn't get ahead in Holland mm-hmm. and were spending all of their times just to eke out a living. Mm-hmm. And so the solution seemed to be this new land way across the Atlantic Ocean. And that's where they took off. And they went into their errand into the wilderness to this new land. They traveled over. And of course, we remember the Mayflower and the Mayflower Compact, mm-hmm. which was going to tell them basically how they would live. They had actually intended to land farther down in Virginia, 
but by the time they got here, it was, you know, it was later in the year they realized in order to go back down to the place where they really wanted to be, which, by the way, just understand, navigation wasn't great in those days, you know. (laughs) You mean they didn't have a GPS? They didn't have GPS, (laughs) you know, or maybe they did and it just told them the wrong way to go. (laughs) But at any rate, they landed up on what we call now Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts, yeah. and they decided this would be the place that they needed to stay. Oh. Now, the the area that they, they stayed in had been populated by a group of Indians who had all died of smallpox. And so it was a kind of a natural area to go in and settle there, and they did mm-hmm. settle. And they managed to get through the first year because of the help of the uh, Wampanoag Indians, that were there. Massasoit was the chief, and they had a man by the name of Squanto who had oh, yes, Squanto. been captured and a couple of times actually and enslaved and spent a lot of time in England so he could speak English very fluently. So he, he had become, for part of his life, a slave. Yes. He picks up the English language. Yes. And now he's back here. Yes. And, and he's it, able to perform. Uh, interpretation essentially it is you see god's providence and all of it all of that because he was part of the tribe that had all died of smallpox but he was in england and that's at the time and that spared him interesting he didn't die of smallpox because Uh of where he was and so now he was back and and he was he he aided the the puritans now that so he was from a different tribe then yeah, he a little bit different tribe than the Wampanoags. Yeah, yeah. Patuxet or something like that. Yeah, yeah. The, Interesting. The Patuxet tribe was uh, his tribe, and so you had him relaying all of this. And this was this was great because they didn't have time to get a crop in. I mean, you no. land in the fall. If you haven't put a crop in in the spring, you're not going to harvest it. Yeah, if you walk out in the woods right now or whatever, <laughs> walk around, you know, all the leaves are down, at least here in the Mid-Hudson Valley yeah. of New York State, and um, it's getting colder. It's really not the time to plant and, <laughs> and expect to harvest in the next no. couple of months. Fortunately, uh, there was, along with the, the corn, which got them through the winter, mm-hmm. at least in the, the fall, they found some good runs of fish. They, mm-hmm. they had plenty of fish that they could eat. And also, you had a lot of wildfowl, you know, the ducks and geese and yes. things like that. So, so I take it that these men and women had no problem eating meat. In other words, no, they weren't vegetarians. No, they, no, they weren't, they weren't right. vegetarians or vegans. Yeah. Well, maybe towards the vegan, because I'm not sure they had any cattle there just yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, turkeys, so they, right? They may not have had a lot of dairy, but the turkeys were wild. Now, we, we have turkey many times traditionally here in right. America for Thanksgiving. Um, did that come from this time frame also? Well, it, it would, yeah. Uh, they did have turkeys. That may not have been the major portion of that meal, mm-hmm. but that certainly would have been part of it. When we see this one, and understand, this Thanksgiving was was done on the back end of a year where half the people had died. That's easy to forget. Yes. yes. They, they had suffered great loss, and yet they made it through. They had been able to plant crops. They had a good harvest, mm-hmm. and here they're giving thanks to God. And so uh, yeah. the Wampanoag Indians come and join them in this. Mm-hmm. 
And so what did they have to eat? Well, I don't have the exact list. They they had a number of things, of course. Uh, corn would have been one, but mm-hmm. I do remember off the top of my head, the tribe's bringing, I think, like five deer to butcher. That's interesting. Yeah, so yes. they had venison oh, that's for good. sure, yeah. and they probably had a number of wildfowl, mm-hmm. uh, turkey, uh, geese. And I, I recall that this Squanto guy, he also taught the pilgrims how to catch eel yes and uh i'm not a lover of eel but you know that's still protein it is it is it's it's food it's food it is and and so they had fish and they had an abundance to eat at this time and so Mm -hmm. we have what we call the first thanksgivings in 1621 and then later in 1623 they had another one that uh, William Bradford, the governor of the Plymouth Colony, had noted in his diaries of, mm-hmm. of uh, the, the first days there. What about the uh, religious beliefs of these people? Um, you, you talked a little bit about that in the beginning. The pilgrims right. were more separatists, yeah. but there was another branch of Puritans um, that were not separatists. Uh, what were some of the highlights of what these people believed? We would have called them Calvinist Christians. They basically were were Calvinist uh, Protestant believers in Jesus Christ. They believed in uh, justification by grace through faith alone in in Jesus Christ. And so they came to this world so they could preach the gospel with freedom. Hmm. They brought with them their Bible, which was the Geneva Bible, which was translated in Calvin's Geneva in Mm -hmm. 1560 is when it was finished. During Bloody Mary's persecution, a lot of the Protestants came over to Calvin's Geneva. William Whittingham was the main individual. He translated the uh, Geneva Bible, and, okay. and so that was their Bible. So and let's then, say 46. So that was about 60 years prior right. to, to their Thanksgiving. Okay, That's right. And what fomented some of that, I mean, after Bloody Mary died, then, then Elizabeth took over. And the Puritans struggled, and they thought when King James came to the throne in, what was it, 1605, something like that, 1603, I don't know, I I don't remember. They had this big conference at the Hampton Court Conference, and that's when the King James Bible was agreed on to be translated and done. Mm -hmm. And what happened at that time, King James... King James I of England, he was from Scotland, and so when he got there, the Puritans thought, hey, here's a guy from Scotland, that's where all those Presbyterians are, hmm. and so he's going to be very sympathetic to us. Instead of being sympathetic, King James actually really preferred Catholicism, Okay, and so he was anything but, and depending on the historian you read, some of the historians say, well, he just slapped them in the face. Every proposal the Puritans made, he slapped them in the face, except for one, and that's he suggested we do need a new Bible translation, <laughs> and therefore the King James Bible was, oh, was translated. That's interesting. I consider that also a slap in the face to the Puritans, mm-hmm. because they already had their Bible, the Geneva Bible, yes. but a lot of the Anglicans did not like the Geneva Bible, and therefore wanted a different translation. Oh, that's very interesting. I know that you're well-studied in the different translations, <laughs> and I don't want to go down that yeah, path, okay. but that is a huge, that is right. a huge area of study, and someday maybe we ought to look at that a little more closely. 
Today we're talking about the first Thanksgiving. Keep going. I was just going to say, but that to say, that was one of their most prized possessions that the Puritans came with was their Bible because what they were doing was following the Scriptures, understanding God and saying the Scriptures is what God has given us as revelation Mm. to follow him. And so that's what they were doing on their errand into the wilderness. Now, what about Puritan worship? I, I imagine that our worship today is similar but also distinct from some of their uh, traditions. Um, did they have long worship services? They had very long worship services. Kids fell asleep yes, sometimes. Yes, <laughs> I've read uh, accounts where one of the pastors really needed help learning how to pray so he could pray for for you know one to two hours yeah and in, in public worship yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they they did have very yes. long worship services it was interesting in the early churches too they initially had very good relationships with the wampanoag indians but as as the puritans spread out through uh, massachusetts and everything sometimes the relationships weren't always all that good yeah and so the men were required to bring their guns to to worship. Oh, yes, 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 good. They had that second. So they were, nice, to the they second were nicely amendment. protected. They were nicely protected. <laughs> yes, but uh, they they would have very long worship services, and uh, sometimes uh, an individual would have to come and and try to wake people up. That's and, very and, funny. <laughs> <laughs> what about their singing? Did they sing? What did they sing? They sang the psalms. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, first Psalter that they had was the Ainsworth Psalter, I Hmm. believe, was the the first Psalter that they brought. And then later, they developed their own Psalter, and it was called the Bay Area Psalter. Mm -hmm. Uh, So they would sing the Psalms, and they would sing a macapella, which which makes sense because I doubt if any instruments were brought, or very few, few, if if there were. At that time, they certainly didn't have a pipe organ. I wonder if it would do us good in in our worship services to have times where we sang the psalms and sang them a cappella. Um, I'm not an exclusive psalm psalmist <laughs> myself, however. Uh, there's there's great value in that. It seems there is great value, and some of these uh, psalms are very beautifully sung and very yes. wonderful worship that they had yeah Yeah. the human voice has its own uh, beauty to it and especially when it's done in harmony yes yes it is a beautiful thing yeah well today we're talking about thanksgiving our guest is the reverend mark diedrich he's um, done a lot of studies not just on translations but also about the indians and uh, you've pointed out that the Indians played a role, an important role here yeah. in this first Thanksgiving. I seem to recall that um, the Indians themselves, in a year or two after the first Thanksgiving, had a hard time. Can you can you remind us what happened there? That is correct. A year or two after, I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read Bradford's mm-hmm. accounts of the things. They came on hard times. You know, they didn't have quite enough food, and the Puritans, who by this time were well-established and were very good farmers, Mm. had plenty to share with them and Mm -hmm. and help them through a tough winter. So they were able to help each other. That's a nice thing. Exactly, exactly. Now, did they live together peacefully then? They did. They did, uh, for the most part, early on. Understand, though, we always think of the pilgrims coming that they're all Puritans. They weren't. There were some that were not. And so 
as New England grew and as the settlements grew, you also had those that would have nothing to do with the Puritans and would have nothing to do with their form of religion. Mm -hmm. And and often they stirred up a lot of trouble among the Indians. Yes. Interesting. And interesting. uh, I wonder if those Puritans, if if they had kind of had shorter services, (laughs) maybe they would have... Maybe it would have helped. <laughs> I don't well, the, <laughs> the other, next generation. The, the other thing, if you look at especially the uh, Plymouth Puritans, they didn't celebrate a lot of the holidays that we did. Christmas Day, what they did Christmas Day. Yeah, they went out and worked. Oh, that's interesting. I Ex- think I've done that myself. <laughs> yeah, there were and the, there were a lot of those. There were a number of their group there that said, "No, no, no. This is a holiday. We should yeah. need." And I said, "Okay, well." We appreciate, we'll give you freedom of conscience. Yeah. You, you worship God as you want during this yes. holiday while the rest of us go out and work. They came back at noon and found them all playing games. <laughs> and and so they said, no, 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 that's not worship of God. You're coming with us yes. in the afternoon helping us. You touched on an entry. I know that this is a side trip, but um, you touched on something important there, freedom of conscience. Um, the uh, The Reformation... Uh, mm-hmm. One of the one of the little tidbits that came out of that was the concept of uh, not binding the conscience of God's people, where right. God Himself has left it free. And yeah. uh, that, once you fully appreciate that, I don't know if I have yet, but uh, once you fully appreciate that, that's liberating. It is. It's wonderful. It is. Yeah. You don't put yourself on guilt trips, or let somebody else put you on a guilt trip <laughs> right. where God has left you free. That's right. You know, it's, yeah. it's a wonderful teaching. Right. Yeah. One of the things that I think the Puritans get a bad rap for, and this is why I think it's it's interesting to talk about them, is that the Puritans are always talked about as being so somber and solemn and right. and, and, and legalistic. Right. And right. in some ways they were. But the problem is we we tend to harp on, on some of their legalism. Mm-hmm. For example, the uh, Sabbath. Now I remember reading an account of one of the sea captains, and of course in the 17th century, if you were a sea captain, and this may have even been early 18th century, he came back, and and of course back then you were gone not just for weeks or months, but years, Mm -hmm. and it had been three years since he was home, and he happened to get back on the Lord's Day. Oh, yes. And and so when he came back on the Lord's Day, he saw his wife, Mm-hmm. He met his wife, and you know, and she's probably outside, sure. the, so everybody could see them. And he kissed her, and he kissed his wife on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, and he got in trouble for that. <laughs> I'm laughing, but that's sick. <laughs> yeah. and, and 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 so people look at that and see how how rigid, you know, and yeah, they took the Sabbath observance too far. Too far, yeah, but. They were serious about serving God. But we now the pendulum has swung completely well, in the opposite direction too far, and it's like any other day. That, and Everything that, happens and on Sunday that, nowadays. That's right. We, we've taken the pendulum too far. Mm-hmm. But what I appreciate about these people was their, their desire to please God. Yeah, that's what it was all everything about. everything else. Yeah. And if you look at him, you look at a guy like Cotton Mather. He talks about when he gets up and he dances his jig. And yeah. and, and these guys <laughs> rejoiced in the Lord. And that's what you see they it with joy. the Thanksgiving is a rejoicing in the Lord. And they yeah. weren't so somber and dour, you know, 
I was just trying to think. Was it H.L. Mencken who said a Puritan is someone who lives in constant fear that someone at some time in some way may be having fun? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm murdering his quote. Yeah. But it, totally wrong. Oh, sure. You know, a total sure. distortion of who these people were. They, they did have a great joy in the Lord. It's a wonderful heritage, and um, we've yes. we got to get past the, the characterizations yeah. that, that are inaccurate right. of these men of God. But here's a people that trust the Lord that love him, that believe that he's sovereign, that he yes. orders all things whatsoever comes to pass, exactly what the scripture yeah. says. That's right. That he's a predestinating God. That's right. And people cough over that, but you know, that's that's actually a very beautiful concept once you dig a little bit deeper and get past the, the smoke and mirrors. I think that's why after a year of losing half their people that they, is why they, they could had the still attitude. had the yes. great thankfulness to God. Yeah, good point. The other thing was is notice the name we give them, which was one that they would gladly hold, is mm-hmm. Pilgrim. Yeah, this isn't their home. Heaven's yeah, heaven is their home, true. and that's the great focus: keeping a focus on heaven. Now, these people had a thankfulness, and in the couple minutes remaining, let's talk about this. Um, we've seen people in this world. I'm thinking of Johnny, um, Johnny and Friends, who mm-hmm. is uh, quadriplegic, and she has um, a God-given spirit of praise and joyfulness, and it doesn't come easy. And that no. poor girl struggles every day of her life, every right. every hour of her life. Um, I have a, a aunt, Aunt Doris, who has terrible arthritis and much pain, and yet she has a spirit of thanksgiving and joy and love for Christ. There is something that the Christian has that you can't get any other way, and it results in thanksgiving. Okay. Can you talk to us a little bit about Psalm this? Psalm 73 talks about the nearness of God is by good. I, I cannot help but remember one of my parishioners when I was in Paxton, Illinois, and uh, I remember Billy. She was in her 90s, I think. Hmm. You know, she was in the nursing home. I would come yeah. to visit her, and she couldn't sit all the way up because of her congestive heart failure. Oh, yes. Her heart was just working. I, I mm. think about 25% is all. Oh, my. And, and she, you know, if she sat up straight, the heart couldn't do it. That's right. <laughs> you know, so she'd sit up, and she was always so joyful. Every yeah. time, because the nearness, and it's not of a make believe joy. No, it's not something you oh, work yourself no. up. It comes from within. It is. Yeah. It is absolutely, and and that's it. And the, the nearness of God to be in relationship with God—that's the greatest thing in the world. If you look at some of the big times of Thanksgiving in the in the Old Testament, you see that first in First Chronicles sixteen. What you have there is David's bringing the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> into Jerusalem. And a big Thanksgiving, a huge Thanksgiving. Yeah. Why? Because it's symbolic of the nearness of God That's to it, them. Right there. Solomon, when he yeah. built the temple, huge Thanksgiving, nearness of God. And even this is this is great. I love this. One of the big Thanksgivings was Manasseh. <laughs> now you remember who Manasseh was? Vaguely. He's Hezekiah's son. Oh, no, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. Good King Hezekiah's son. 
But he wasn't called good king Manasseh. He was called one of the worst kings that Judah ever had. Mm-hmm. But if you read the whole article about it, in First Chronicles, he's just the wicked king mm-hmm. and probably killed Isaiah. But Chronicles says he turned back to the Lord. Ah, there we go. And what happened? Big Thanksgiving. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. <laughs> Praise God for that. Yeah. Well, uh, next week is Thanksgiving here in the United States, and we've been talking just a little bit, barely scratching the surface of the subject of Thanksgiving historically and also personally in our own lives. And dear listener, we hope that you all have a blessed Thanksgiving. And uh, Mark, I want to thank you for taking your time today and, and joining us in the studio. Happy to do it, Dan. And again, the greatest Thanksgiving is being near to God through Jesus Christ who died and rose again, that we might have eternal life. Amen. Amen. Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.